Welcome to Never Broke Again. I'm Josh. I got Andrew and our friend and guest Ari, not Ari, Mizell, all about doing less. And Ari's here today to share his story on how he will never go broke again. So Ari, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I was looking into your book of doing less and everyone wants to be successful, but most people don't want to work. And you seem to kind of find the formula on how to do both. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it's well, so first of all, it's, it's less doing. It's not doing less, um, which is a, a common, common uh, reversal, I guess. And uh, it's yes. really about doing less of the things that, that are not really effective for you because right? there's a difference between productivity and effectiveness so effectiveness is about doing the right things with your time and a lot of people waste a lot of time <laughs> in their daily lives yeah totally money's infinite however time is not so like what was the inspiration here Did, were you like sitting at a coffee shop were you like waking up in the middle of the night you're like shit like i i'm, I'm wasting time here like what was how did that start well, I had, I had just perfected my three hour morning routine and no, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have one of those. Uh, so basically I was working my, my butt off, uh, in construction and real estate development in upstate New York and got sick. Um, I got diagnosed with a illness called Crohn's disease, which is a chronic inflammatory condition. That affects the digestive tract, considered to be incurable, very painful, very debilitating, and long, very long story short, I uh, went from working like 18 hours a day to working an hour a day, uh, if I was lucky, just based on energy levels and like just feeling up to it. And uh, that just wasn't going to cut it. So I was presented with this sort of very real situation of what would you do if you could only work an hour a day, which is a question I often ask clients of mine and people in my programs because it requires a completely different way of thinking than existed at the time, as far as I'm concerned, and to a great extent now as well. Because if you only have an hour a day to work and you still have to get things done, then someone or something is gonna have to get those things done for you. So you have to create systems to optimize, automate, and outsource everything that you do. And that's how Less Doing was born. It started out as a blog and turned into classes and then books and then speaking, consulting, coaching. And, and then, you know, I ended up on the never broke again show. <laughs> yeah. Andrew, Andrew's big in the morning routines and Andrew has a similar. I couldn't story. tell if there was sarcasm in the three hour routine though, or if it was legit. <laughs> There's a health, healthy dose of sarcasm. I'm actually, um, I'm, I'm buddies with uh, Hal Elrod who wrote the, the, the miracle morning. And I'm in his second book, miracle morning for entrepreneurs about basically not having a morning routine, essentially. Um, I have four small children. Uh, morning routine is really about them and waking up with somebody, you know, calling my name usually. So I have a, something of a night routine, but we're in a culture, unfortunately, I feel like where people feel that if they don't have some badass morning routine, then they just can't possibly be successful, which I don't think is true. Yeah, yeah, Andrew's big I've in the got, morning routine. I've routines. got a whole philosophy on morning routine. I'd love to pick Hal Elrod's brain, but um, I, I wrote a book on morning routines and I, I got to publish it and get it done. For a couple of years, I, I was like, how do I build out the perfect day? Right? Well, you got to start with the morning, right? It's just 
because you wake up and how do you how do you put I'm, I'm very I, I loved your book by the way less doing I think it was called and I read idea to execution even though there was a lot of like over some overlap and I know a lot of writers do do that there's some of the similarities between books but um, uh, it's okay because I like repetitions uh, but you one thing different I read a ton of books I probably read a couple hundred books over the last few years. One thing that you do, and I'll jump back to morning routine later, is that you go over theories, business theories in your books. And that like pretty much blew my mind where I've never really heard anybody put those together because right when you started doing that, so like morning routines, I, I you know, it's like, all right, I mean, I don't know how to put it in words, but like morning routine. I want, I want Ari to... I want Ari to talk about your morning routine. I want him to disagree. I feel my like he, he disagrees with morning routines, right? My, no, my he morning, has no morning routine, well, right? No so, so, no, so to be fair, just to be fair, I, it would be amazing to have a morning routine. I think that would be awesome. Uh, but it's just not a practical, it's not a reality for, for me in my life. And again, I, I just don't like this sort of culture that's been created where it's like, if you don't have one, then, um, you know, well, you might as well just go back to bed. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I agree on that culture aspect. I think everything works different for other people. Like I was crazy disciplined for a while and I was like, man, this this is boring. Like I just want to sleep in. I just want to do these half a dozen items. And then I'm like, all right, I want to get back into my discipline. So I'm a little phasey with morning routines. But when you started putting together theories with business theories, I started thinking, I can put together my perfect day by putting the stringing these theories together, which would put together like an ultimate discipline 24 hours because I got my morning. Now I got my day and I'm like, for me, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm like militant, like, because it's very militant the way these get put together. So um, I, don't, I don't know if you could talk more about that. That'd be great because that, that really blew my mind. And I started researching business theories. I got, I know you got what covered Zagarnik effect. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the milkshake theory. Have you heard of that one? No, tell me about that. No, it was in, um, it was in, a, I think, Wheeler's book, The Harvard Professor, where uh, he, go, uh, he, go, he talks about uh, um, what is the, what, what does everybody eat for breakfast? What, what do most people eat for breakfast? And, uh, and, and, or no, they, 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 sorry. He goes, how do we sell more milkshakes? Right. And, um, and they were trying to figure out when, when do they buy them? Right. When do they buy these things? And that for some reason, do you know when most milkshakes were bought? Just morning. What's that? Morning. In the morning. See, you went to Wharton, right? But, um, so so they were like, why, why are people buying milkshakes in the morning, right? Do, do you know why, Ari? Um, is it the same people they who think they that they a muffin is like a cupcake without frosting? What's that? Is it the same people who say that a muffin is just a cupcake without frosting so you can have it for breakfast? Well, basically, you know, like why wouldn't they get a bagel or uh, something, something else? Like go in, sit down. Because... A, it was clean. It wasn't in their car. It wouldn't make a mess. And B, it would keep them full until lunchtime. So for some reason, they were like, all right, well, we have a massive spike in milkshake sales in the mornings. And what was the reason? This was the reason. So there's a milkshake. That was a milk. So I came up with Parkinson's theory. I think uh, uh, 
shoot, I might have to Google that one again. But you, you had, I think you had Ebbinghaus and you had Zagarnik and you had a bunch of others in there. So, yeah, I don't, I mean, talk to me. <laughs> what do you, what okay. do you? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think, I think one of the, so first of all, I mean, like Zagarnik effect is, a, is more psychology than, than a business theory. And there's a lot of that, I think, that I, I bring into the, the basis for what I, what I end up teaching, uh, to be perfectly honest, I disagree with a lot of the business theories that are out there just from a practical sense. And specifically with a lot of the productivity advice that has been given over the years, not the least of which, which we can talk about if you guys want is the, the uh, Brian Tracy eat the frog, um, which I think is some of the worst advice you could possibly give anybody ever, uh, for a number of reasons, but there's there's a, there's a basis for all this stuff. You know, I, I essentially used myself as an experiment for a number of different processes, theories, methods to, to create the structure that I did. And knowing the, the psychology is really important because especially for entrepreneurs, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, probably to some extent as well, but it's very hard to sort of separate the, the life from the work. Right. People love to talk about a work life balance. And to me, that's a completely bullshit concept because uh, people are always chasing this idea of this work life balance. And, you know, these people are like, oh, I shut my phone off at 5 p.m. and, you know, go to my kid's soccer game. It's like, yeah, but you're just thinking about the emails that you have to deal with later on. And that's not really what, you know, we're trying to do. And also, balance is very uh, momentary by its very nature, right? We are constantly moving in and out of balance in all sorts of ways. So to me, it's more about a work-life integration. And if you think about it that way, whether you're in the office or you're in the gym or you're in the minivan with the kids, like it's the same brain, the same body. And to some extent, or not to some, sorry, to a great extent, the same thought processes. So why are we treating those things differently? For, plus you also have people who could be super efficient at work and then come home to a stressful mess, you know, and that doesn't work either because it bleeds over. So we have to apply those things. And a lot of that comes down to self-awareness and dealing with the overwhelm that so many people feel, especially now. What do you, and I don't want to say doing less again, less doing, you said something that schedules are like complete crap. However, you said you have time blocks and I found it interesting because time blocks to me just seems like a schedule with time. How would you dissect the two to tell people like, what's the difference between like a checklist, like go to the gym tan laundry was like a big one during uh, when Jersey shore versus like time blocking out. Hey, I'm going to take this 10 minutes to like play chess or 10 minutes to go for a walk. Like you said, when you, uh, walked your kids in the shore and you did um, a low frequency activity of the brain with a high frequency activity of talking to clients or prospects. Yeah. So it's not that schedules per se are, are crap, but it's actually, it's just the, the way that most people view them, I think is, is not really based on their own needs versus like the culture of the team that they're part of or the work that they've been doing for such, you know, for how many years they've been doing it. Yeah. It's more about understanding that everybody has an individualized um, for lack of a better term, a circadian rhythm, right? And there are different, you have morning people and night people, right? That's the most basic one people know about, but it goes so much more specific than that. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is peak time, right? And so peak time is not my concept. It's um, 
Stephen Kotler wrote a really, really great book about it. And essentially, it's the time of the day. It's like a 90-minute period of the day where you are two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. And in that context, what they mean by more effective is that you're more able to easily drop into a flow state, right? And flow state, for many people, is where you'll experience a dilation of time. So minutes feel like hours, hours feel like minutes, that kind of thing. And that's different for everybody. And if you identify what your peak time is, which I've come up with several ways to do that, and you respect that time, uh, it's fascinating the results that we see from that. So like my peak time is right now, it's between 10 and noon. Uh, and so I really do my best to schedule the things that are like the highest and best purpose of my brain, as far as I'm concerned during that time. And for me, that's content creation, right? So this is it, this is perfect. And, and also, which we can get into later, like this is the one schedule call I have for the next two weeks, like uh, on my calendar, I don't do synchronous stuff. Everything I do is rather asynchronous. So if you identify that, it's it's incredible because you know, again, mine's like 10 to noon. I've had clients and people that have had it at five in the morning, 11 o'clock at night, um, three in the afternoon. It really, it's it, it, there's no sort of rhyme or reason to it, but whatever it is like for mm -hmm. you, it kind of is. And so not only are you identifying for yourself, but once you start to identify it within a team, and if you have an ideal team size, which is usually less than six for an individual like work team, then, mm -hmm. and you try to not have that like morning sales update meeting that intersects with anybody's peak time, you see massive increases in peak productivity from the whole team. It's really fascinating. But then again, once you find that one sort of nexus, then you can sort of spin off of that and find out when the best time is for you to do busy work, uh, brain dead kind of work eat, work out, all of these things are really different. And, and last thing I'll just say before I stop the rant is you, you can't necessarily perfectly match that to your life because, you know, unless you're a hermit, it might be really difficult, mm -hmm. but we try to do the best we can. I found what you said interesting, dilation of time. Have you dug into that? Well, I mean, I, I think, um, sorry, that's a Alexa. Uh, I think that most people have had some experience where they felt like they were doing an activity and it could be an intellectual activity. It could be sports. It's really, it's very common in sort of extreme sports where uh, time feels like it slows down or speeds up, right? So the person who sat down to write a manuscript and 10,000 words just flew out of them over the course of an hour or two, and they felt like, you know, minutes passed. Most people I think have had that. Uh, another way of experiencing that is anybody who's ever had sort of a traumatic accident or like a car crash or something like that which I, I have you kind of remember like every millisecond of it because your brain slows that down for you so that that's a dilation of time but it's not that we're looking for that dilation of time necessarily that's just indicative of being in a flow state got it yeah does that have anything to do with um einstein's theory of relativity is there any correlation there um, I, I, I don't believe so because this is, this is actually okay. like, neuro, this is like synapses firing faster. <laughs> okay. Cause, uh, cause the way he explained it is, um, his theory of relativity and it was in the show genius where they looked at Albert Einstein's life. He met with the president of the United States. He's like, explain that theory to me. And he's like, it's very simple. You know, when you're put your hand on the stove. How come time slows down? Like on a hot stove, time seems to slow down. However, when you're in bed with a pretty girl, 
time seems to speed up. And he's like, that's what relativity is like this, this time thing. And so I was just, that's what I thought of when I thought of that. It, it reminded me that I was like, you know, that's a nice way of putting it. I don't know if yeah, anyone actually, else has heard, I that. heard that example. That is a good one. It's funny, by the way, I, I live in Princeton, New Jersey and Einstein's house or where he used to live. It's like a few blocks over that way. Oh man. I, I, yeah. I grew up in West Windsor. Nice. Okay. I, I yeah. deal with the, with the fire department there quite a bit. I'm an EMT here in Princeton. So. Ah, yeah. Uh, and I went to Hun. Oh, cool. Okay. My kids go to PDS. So. <laughs> Rivals. So, um, so you, you wrote about the theories, but you, you said you don't agree with the theories. Is that. No, no, met with a lot of the sort of business theories out there, not the ones I wrote about. Um, but also, okay. I think that I, I use them in a somewhat different way uh, or I apply them. Yeah, eat the frog. Way. Like, talk about that because there's a lot of people out there, especially like younger kids that are seeing this content and listening to it. And a lot of it's like not the correct advice. Yeah, so the eat the frog idea is basically like you're supposed to do your hardest task first, right? That's the first thing you're supposed to tackle on the day because then like you do that, you feel accomplished, like everything is easy after that. And again, I just think that is such misguided advice. Uh, and you know, what, you know, just as a very small aside, I'll say that a lot of the problems with a lot of the productivity advice out there is that it doesn't work for a lot of people. And then unlike a lot of other things where people, I think, get more resolved about stuff, uh, which is like, there's like confirmation bias that usually takes over. When it comes to productivity stuff, a lot of people, if they can't do it, they just get into this deeper trench that they're not a productive person. And that's just, you know, that's their life, which is uh, unfortunate. So anyway, it says, he says, you know, eat the, uh, do the hardest task first. So here's, here's my problem mm -hmm. with that. Uh, there's a few things. One is talk about peak time again, right? So First thing in the morning really may not be your time to do that or whatever when you start work like that may not be the correct time for your brain and your body and your your rhythm honestly uh like i said you know for me 10 to noon is that time to really do the high level high level intellectual stuff if i try to do that before that it's just not and i've, I've tested this not just with myself but many many people it's not going to get done and if it does get done it's not going to get done well and it's certainly not going to set me up for a good day but the thing that's worse about it is that if you are part of a team and whether you're a leader of a team or not, in my opinion, the absolute worst thing you can do for the team and, you know, the holistic success of your project, your team, your company, whatever it is, is to hold up somebody else from doing what they need to do because there's a multiplier effect that happens there. Right. So anybody, Andrew, you know, Andrew, what's that? <laughs> Andrew's always like, I need this done. I'm like, I'm in the middle of something right now. He's like, you can only do one thing at a time. I'm like, I want to get this done and move on. And we always battle back and forth about it. So that's something that we uh, we differ on here. In the I, I like how you Is talk you about peak time. I can definitely relate to that. Like my brain will be, you know, I can't make sales calls at a certain hour. You know what I mean? Like they all flop. Like I just know, like if I call it this between these hours, you know, they're just not going to be as quality as later in the day when I have more patience really is what sales calls. And, you know, I just have to have maximum patience, but what, what are your thoughts on just like living your whole life in a flow state? Uh, that's a completely unrealistic expectation to set yourself up for failure with that. Do you, What's do, that? you have kids? do you have kids? Yeah. 
How many? Three. Are they grown up or they're young? They're uh, they're three, six, and nine. Oh, nine. <laughs> cool. So I've got ten, eight, eight, and five. Uh, cool. So you, you you really think that you can live your whole life in a flow state? I think that with the family aspect, it, if I were to do that, I wouldn't be spending a whole lot of time with them. Or if I was, there would be a lot of emotions on their end because kids are so emotional. It's crazy. Um, or at least, uh, you know, one, one or two of them are. So I, I, I feel like it's possible to live my whole life in a flow state, but I feel like, I feel society doesn't want, doesn't, doesn't want, you know, doesn't want me to, you know, more my wife. <laughs> right. And all of those things are part of, you know, being an entrepreneur and being a human being, right. That, that we have to. Is the balance. One well, integration, because furthermore, right. If, if your whole life was a flow state, then none of your life would be a flow state really. Right. Because we need that. We need that yin and yang. We need that, that, uh, those, that dichotomy in some cases. So there are lots of times in my day and my week that like are not awesome, you know, and it makes you appreciate and focus in the times that you can and are. So okay. I don't have kids. What advice you got for people who may have kids in the future? Something that you can't learn in a book. Get yourself into therapy. Oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the thing is, is I, so I have four kids with four very different personalities and uh, I probably communicate well with one of them on any given day. You know, it's constantly a challenge. It's constantly an experience for growth and, and we have to sort of see it that way, you know, and it's, uh, it's the struggle that, you know, makes you grow. We can't grow without friction or tension. We just can't which is another reason why a flow state uh, all the time, I don't think would actually be very good for us. But uh, yeah, just learn better ways to communicate. And, and that honestly, that speaks to that's for business. That's for everything we do in our lives. I feel like communication is the, the skill that is lacking most in most people uh, for a number of different reasons. And it's something that we can always do better at. What, what is the, I got to look up the Zagarnik one. What, what is that? 25 minutes? Was it on, on or? That's Pomodoro technique. Pomodoro. Uh, okay. Pomodoro is basically the idea that we work better in sprints and marathons. So with Pomodoro, you're setting a 25 minute timer. You, you work hard on one thing for 25 minutes, then you take a five minute break and you repeat that cycle. And there's, there's a little bit more nuance to it, but it is, it is a good method the, the trick with pomodoro is that the 25 5 is, is not what works for everybody and you can play around with that ratio um so for some people it's it's 15 10 some uh, for programmers they found it's like 50 20 uh, but uh the zigarnik effect is the, the sort of impulse the voice in our heads that pushes us to complete the uncompleted uh and also allows us to recall interrupted information a little bit more easily. That's like, that's like a very sort of brief treatise on it. But the Zygarnik effect is essentially why traditional to-do lists are very bad for people. And and that's because... Yeah, so I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like leave cliffhangers here. I just don't want to like talk for five minutes and, and not let you guys, you know, ask a question or interrupt me. So if you want me to continue on something, I'm going to. Um, 
so the Zygarnik effect is basically pushing us to complete the uncompleted, right? So even the worst procrastinator, they still like to get things done. Human beings like closure. It's no matter what, at some level, conscious, subconscious, deep subconscious, like we like to finish and, you know, clean, clean things up and tie up loose ends. So uh, the way that most people have learned to do to do, or not even learn, the way they just start doing to-do lists, because most people don't learn how to do it uh, because it's not really taught, is they'll have a list, right? It's a vertical list of you know things they have to do and they cross things out or they star things or they highlight them, whatever they want to do. And there are lots of things on those lists that you can't do right now, right? Because either it's too big of a project or you're waiting on somebody else to do something first or myriad other reasons. And you look at that list and the Zygarnik effect pops up and it's like, do that, do that, get that done, get that done, but you can't get it done. So it creates what's called cognitive dissonance, right? Where you can't make a right from two wrongs. And it really puts the brakes on productivity. Uh, so it's, it's, the wrong, it's the wrong way to do to-do lists. So do you have a to-do list? Because I read that they say to, hey, all right, I used to have, well, growing up, it was crazy. I, I had a to-do list a whole page long, right? And I was like, this is crazy. Like, I just cross it off as a kid. And then I got older. I'm like reading. I start reading. They're like, just do two to six items a day, you know? So what what are your thoughts? It, just no to-do lists or, or or smaller or? No. So that that's, that's actually a good step that you suggested there. So essentially what's happening is that people are using to-do lists sideways. Um, so the vertical list is part of the problem. And so what we need to do is literally flip it on its side and use what's known as a Kanban or Kanban, depends how they pronounce it. It's a Japanese word. And if anybody uses Trello or other tools like that, you've, you've seen it where you have lists that represent phases, right? Um, it's based on assembly line manufacturing principles from you know Toyota in the turn of the century. And you, the, at, at the very basic level, you need to have to do, doing, done, right, in those lists. And that can expand quite a bit depending on your individual situation, but there needs to be the things that are sort of on deck, the things that you're doing now, today, this hour, whatever it may be, and then the things that you've accomplished. And you actually need to have that movement between those phases so that it's dynamic. Uh, most people, except, you know, unless you're like Israeli, you're going to be left to right or left to right. And that it, you, you show somebody a Trello board who's never seen it before. And it's very obvious that we're trying to get the to do things over to the done column, you know, like that it's, it's just very natural. Uh, and we get that sense of accomplishment by moving it over. We're not crossing things out that are then staying in a list. Uh, it's very clear what we're working on right now. It helps people really focus and teams. Right. So yeah. You love, you, you love Trello. How do we how do we solve that problem then? How would someone solve that problem and get out of that funk, Ari? Uh, well, so that, I mean that that would be a really good way to start is to to set up. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be Trello. I'm I'm generally pretty tool agnostic. I love Trello, but like you can do this on a whiteboard with post-it notes. You just really want to be able to have those vertical columns representing phases and then the ability to move between them so you can look at your task list whatever it might be and start to put them there a lot of people have ideas in their to-do list and that's also not a good place to store those you need to have a different sort of place for that uh, because ideas need to have that sort of opportunity to marinate and not be smacking in the face all the time when you're trying to actually get things done and another thing is that people will use their inbox, their email inbox as a to-do list. That's a big problem. That's like just the tip of the iceberg with the email problem for most people. 
So there needs to be a tool for it. And again, it could be Trello, it could be a whiteboard, whatever, but uh, separating that out and really having that be like your, your list. So it needs to have phases, it needs to be dynamic. Um, if it is digital, you wanna be able to communicate there. Uh, so if you have a team, you don't want to be talking about a project or a to-do in Slack or on email. You want to be doing it in the task manager itself. It just allows us to really separate out those different communications really well. Yeah, that's cool. You mentioned earlier you're an EMT. Like, what made you decide to do that? that that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the majority of my time, my hours right now are spent uh, volunteering as an EMT, which I only do overnight. I do overnight shifts and uh, woodworking. I'm really, really got into woodworking and over the pandemic. And so that's, I just came out of the shop actually. That's why I've got like sawdust on me. Uh, I, I, I love it. I, I, the EMT stuff is and basically uh, after I got sick through my recovery, one of the things I wanted to do was just like learn more about the medical aspects that I could. Um, I wasn't going to go to medical school and like, so that seemed like a good option. And uh, I've since volunteered, I've been, we've moved around a bunch. So I've been with like five different squads, volunteer, all volunteer, but fire department in Central Park in New York, uh, and now Princeton First Aid and Rescue Squad. And uh, it's it's been one of the most gratifying things I've ever done, especially during COVID. It's been amazing. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, what was the most rewarding story you can share as being an EMT that sticks out to you? Uh, well, it's, it's actually, it's a sort of story that, that ended up really transforming the company in the way it is now. But mm. during the start of the pandemic, we were at our country house in upstate New York and we ended up staying there for, you know, I don't know, eight months, nine months, essentially. And so I joined the local squad there and was one of three EMTs for the entire town of, I don't know, 4,000 residents or something. And uh, I had a pager. I was on 24, I was on call 24 seven call came out. I would take my truck with my kit and everything directly to the scene. Some, you know, sort someone hopefully would show up with an ambulance at some point and you know, there's just, there's something very interesting about being like the person that goes into the house that nobody, you know, nobody else is going into and nobody else is interacting with that person. It's fascinating. But uh, being a, what, what they refer to as like a country medic as opposed to a city medic, you, you end up almost becoming like certain people's doctors because you see a lot of the people the, over and over, you know, they might be older people who have a specific chronic illness. You might be have people who are terminal and dying. Uh, and I'm, I'm very good at compartmentalizing. Uh, I, I had, I had a call a few months ago where uh, a woman died and we were doing CPR and 45 minutes later, I was taking my daughter to Taekwondo class and, you know, watching that. So it's like, I'm very good at that sort of shift. Uh, in this scenario, there was one patient, this woman that I, I developed something of a bond with, she was in her eighties. And um, uh, she she ended up dying, which we, we knew was going to happen. But there was a call that came out, and I was not there because I was I was doing something. I remember, and based on the information that I was receiving, which is very limited, people don't realize that dispatch information from nine one one to ambulance providers is notoriously like 
very bad. It's not very good information. Um, it's the best they can do. But anyway, it looked like she had died. Um, and a couple of minutes later, I got like a message from one from my CFO about something that felt sort of very trivial. And I was just like, this is this is not last October, the previous October. And I was like, um, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to run that company anymore the way it is. Um, and I essentially shut down operations of my company like two days later and uh, went back to doing private coaching. So I got rid of my team. I got rid of my mastermind program, all this stuff, and have done private coaching ever since because I love working with people. Um, but so that was that was that was particularly impactful. And, and one one other really quick is that I, I got to work uh, an, a, an FDNY shift uh, two Decembers ago because they were just overwhelmed with the pandemic and there was a snowstorm. And uh, that was just one of the craziest nights ever, starting with somebody jumping off of a building and me doing CPR by myself on a scaffolding in the snow. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's incredible. And it's definitely like a stress inoculator for sure. <laughs> so, so do you still, I know in your books, you talk about virtual a lot. Is that not, is that what you let go of the business you let go of? Uh, no, no. So virtual was not my company. Um, and I, I don't even know if they're still around. Maybe their CEO kind of had a bit of a breakdown, but, um, no, uh, so that's less doing. And also I had a, the company and I did execution that was leverage, which I, which is still operating. I left that one, but, uh, less doing. So less doing is still my company. I still have it. I have courses. I do my coaching, but I got rid of my team. I got rid of my, uh, mastermind programs, all that stuff. Uh, okay. I thought you bought virtual. Maybe I miss misread it or something or. No, oh no, no. So in idea and execution, what you're referring to, I think, is so virtual basically shut down like with no notice on a Monday morning. And that right. night, uh, my my friend and I were discussing. We had dinner and we were discussing it, and he suggested we start our own virtual assistant company, um, which we did 24 hours later. Ah, uh, okay. I I guess I assume that you bought it. Gotcha. And is that still in? And that's leverage. Is that? That's leverage. So leverage is, is uh, as far as I know, is still operating. I, my, my partner and I had a, a fairly um, tumultuous split in um, 2017, maybe, wasn't it? And, um, and I got out of that, that business. So what caused that? What caused that split? Um, it was uh, a number of, I'd say, like interpersonal issues. I think the, the biggest one in terms of like a lesson learned for me and for others is that we we started the company. Like I said, we started the company in 24 hours. We grew to a million dollars in revenue in the first year, never put a penny into it. Like we, we had 183, a team, I hired six, sorry, I hired 183 people in over like six months. Uh, we were growing really fast and doing really, really well and on a really good trajectory. But I don't think we ever sort of stopped early enough to discuss our individual visions for the company. Um, his was a lot larger than mine. Mine was more boutique, more uh, more expensive, more boutique, more focused on uh, serving some very fun needs, honestly, for our clients. His was, he used to say, he wanted to be the Uber for tasks, basically, and, or the Amazon for tasks. And uh, that that uh that gap is very hard to sort of overcome as you're growing really fast and 
there's very relevant decisions that need to be made one way or another. Um, so we had a we had a, a sort of big philosophical disagreement about that. And then uh, additionally, I was more sort of people client facing front of house. He was more back of house, and those lanes got merged too often and created problems. Basically, that's it. So you mentioned uh, Hal Elrod. Is he a mentor or do you have mentors or do you not believe in those? Um, Hal's not a mentor. No, Hal's, you know, a peer. Um, okay. I definitely believe in mentors and mentorship uh, for sure. And I think I, I have been that many, many times. I have had some really important mentors in my life. I wouldn't say that I have one now, but um, the ones that I have had have been really instrumental from teachers and professors to uh, most notably, I'd say probably Joe Polish from Genius Network. A lot of people know um, he was really fundamental in, in my growth and development. And, and then I guess Dan Sullivan also to an extent uh, from Strategic Coach. Dan's been amazing. So um, I, it's, it's, I think it's hugely important. Uh, if, someone, if someone wants you to be their mentor, Ari, where's the best place to find you? Uh, voxwithre.com. People can go to that and they can start hitting me up on Voxer, me directly, not an automation, not an assistant. Uh, and I do that. I, I actually I do that for quite a few people in business with Crohn's disease stuff, with EMS, all sorts of things. What would you say, Voxer? Is that? Yeah. So Voxer is like the game changer. Uh, so vo with a V. So Voxer is essentially a voice communication app. Uh, it's similar in some ways to like WhatsApp, Signal, things like that, but it has some uh, extremely unique features that nobody else has. And uh, I, so like currently I do private coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, with client, a couple dozen clients in, I don't know, 10, 11 time zones. And it's all exclusively over Boxer. So I don't do any Zoom calls, there's no meetings, there's no meetups or anything like that they get boxer access to me and that means that i probably spend on the outside maybe 20 minutes a day on you know work and it's been uh, been amazing so if somebody can box me at you know 11 o'clock at night their time and i can respond at one o'clock the next day my time if, if it suits me it's been the most effective form of coaching and communication i've ever done well what, what how i don't understand i've heard of it before I've heard of this of this Voxer thing once or twice before. So what is it like a text message over voice, like a, a voice? It's primarily it's primarily voice. So think of it like a walkie-talkie to some extent. Um, and it yeah. actually was designed and built by some former special forces guys. And yeah, the, the most unique feature of it, which I'm pretty sure, I mean, I know they have a, several patents, so I, I really don't think any other tool has this. So the problem with doing it with like WhatsApp or iMessage or something like that is, you know, you, you, you talk for three minutes holding the button or whatever, and then that file has to upload the person there and then has to download it. They have to listen, vice versa. With Voxer, within 0.2 seconds of you starting to talk, the person on the other end can begin to listen. So it allows for synchronous conversation as well. But if they're not there, then they can listen to it later and then they can respond in kind. You can also speed it up two, three, four times. So I might have a, you know, what's so cool about it as far as coaching, right, is I might have a client leave me a 12 minute message, which I'll listen to at three times speed while I'm walking my dog. Uh, so, you know, four minutes. And then I'll think about the answer and 
maybe an hour later, maybe a day, maybe two days, three days, whatever. I don't set an expectation of time. Uh, I'll respond to them with like the one minute answer that they need rather than them waiting, you know, till our Wednesday noon appointment for our 45 minute session where they really only needed three minutes of my time. Uh, it, so we move things forward a lot faster uh, this way. How's that different than like text audible, you know, the text talk, right? Text to talk. Well, for me personally, as a, as a coach, I just think that I get so much more information from hearing people's voice, their intonation, the emotion that might have come along with it. Uh, yeah. That tells No, me I mean, like, people. can't you text? Like, people send me audible messages, right? They send me. In, like, iMessage? Yeah, yeah. Right. The so, same thing? No, because, again, so it's not, you can't do synchronous, right? So they have to record it. It has to send to you. You have to then download it. You have to listen to it. That causes sort of an inherent delay, especially if somebody is sending a 12-minute message. Uh, plus, you have to hold the button, which iMessage is notorious for people, like, slipping off the button midstream. Um, you can't really do anything with those messages, whereas with Boxer, you can export them and transcribe them if you need to. Uh, so, it, and also Voxer uh, is really cool in terms of if you don't have signal, because it was designed by these special forces guys specifically, if there's no signal, you can still record and stuff. And then as soon as there's signal, it will send it. Whereas with iMessage, you have to like manually retry to send it. There's a whole bunch of issues. And this is stuff. global too. You could send it to somebody in another country and it's, it's, they don't yeah, that's, that's how the internet works these days. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so do you gym tan and laundry since you're in Jersey or is that? I was waiting for that. Uh, no, no, I do not. My workout consists of doing a lot of work around the house. And uh, as much as, you know, I've outsourced and automated in my life, uh, there's still quite a bit of manual labor that I, I appreciate doing myself. So uh, there's plenty of laundry to be done in our, in our house. And uh, no, I do not. Uh, I don't go tan. <laughs> I don't have the accent, I don't think yet. So so do you so do you have a morning routine or do you do you just not you're not no? Not no, so I my my I mean like I get up at six AM, I go down to our kitchen, I let the dogs out, I make myself a cup of coffee and uh check my boxer and my email and respond to those things, which usually takes a few minutes. And then I start making breakfast for the kids and getting them up and dressed and getting them off to school and as soon as they're off, like I, if I can, I go into my workshop and start building something. Well, that that's a routine. Yeah, I, I mean it is to some extent for sure, but uh, it's more it's a routine. It's more like water finding the path of least resistance. Sure. Yeah. You know, one, one thing uh, making breakfast is important. That's that's on my in my in my book. You know, for the kids and. What? I disagree with eating breakfast. Eating oh, breakfast, you're breakfast. fasting, right? You can fast. I, I eat Sardinian minestrone. It's extremely healthy. It was in Dan Butner's book, Blue Zones. Um, one thing that, you know, you have kids is do, do you hug them in the morning? Do you show them affection, right? So that's important, even if it's only for a, a little bit, you know, to, to show all the people you love in your family, like some sort of affection or else people can, you know, become estranged to an extent, you know, if you're not showing affection. I, I, I definitely, I definitely do that. Um, yeah. 
So, so you, you may you, you may not think you have a routine, but you do. You check a lot. You, there's boxes in there you're checking, and you're like, ah, I'm too cool for a morning routine. But like, because you're not militant about it, but because you can get militant about it, be like, boom, 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 boom. I got my morning. I, I'm pushing my weights because that's what's on the internet. Sounds like OCD. Weights. Sounds like exactly. OCD to me. You know, I push my weights. I'm big. I'm I'm doing 75 hard. You know that I see that a lot, and then they. I'm not in, I'll do like 10 pushups, you know, I'm into mini habits. Have you ever read mini habits? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll do, I'll do one pushup a day, you know, I'll be like, at least I did it. <laughs> so uh, I'm into that. Like just doing the micro habits, like, all right, at least I'm not like falling off in, in, in the no man's land here. So staying on some sort of track. I agree with that, and, and and you've got me questioning now. Maybe I do actually have morning routine. I'm oh, you do. Uh, I'll, maybe I'll send you my book, and you, can, but uh, or at least my list, because I, I built this list over two years. I was like, all right, I read all the blogs, even like you know, page twenty of Google, you know, all the interviews, and I was like, man, I got everything. Now I'm just putting, I'm putting bullshit on these lists. I'm like, I don't even. I'm putting like people are selling me products. And I'm putting their products on my list. And I'm like, no, nah, that, that doesn't belong on the list. That product made me feel like crap. I'm like, that's not a real morning item. So I had to like, I was like, I think I got everything. And I, and I, I you know, and, and then everything is just expanded on from those particular items. So maybe we can cover that another time. But um, yeah, you, you'll have to hire all right person to cover that with you. What's that, Josh? You can hire Ari, then he can go over. It with yeah, yeah. What, what is it? What is the? Uh, what? How, how much blood do I have to get in the EMT to, <laughs> to hire to hire you? What is that? What What is pricing like? Is it? A, is there a range or is it customized? How does that look for private coaching? For the private coaching? No. So it's yeah. it's um, uh, ten thousand dollars for six months of unlimited boxer access. Oh, nice. Uh, and then uh, it descends from there. So the next six months is five, if they choose, is 5,000. And any six months after that is 2,500. So it's actually, I think it's pretty affordable, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been great. Well, that sounds like how Ari is never going to go broke again. Yeah. So that was my next question. What skills, obviously the name of the podcast is never broke again. So what skills uh would you say that you have that will never like even if your bank account went to zero let's say you got sued and you got to file bank you know got because these things happen you know you can file bankruptcy you know okay i'm back to zero and it makes you think like you I think you said you were in a car accident you're like all right yeah life you know can be you know taken away like so so what what can you do from scratch basically what would you what would you say you you've got that that would make you never go broke again, or would you just not care? Oh, I, I, I'd care. Uh, I mean, so first of all, I, I see life getting taken away, unfortunately, like on a pretty regular basis. So I, it, yeah. that's definitely um, relevant. Um, I mean, I guess I could start selling cutting boards on eBay or on Etsy. That's a, that's a pretty big one for people. <laughs> um, no, there, there, so there's yeah. actually, there, there are very interesting opportunities uh, as an EMT, especially now. Uh, it's fascinating because EMS is notoriously poorly paid work. Uh, it, it's just, it just is for a number of different reasons. What do they make like 60 grand a year? Oh, if you're lucky starting EMT Less? in New York city, starting EMT in New York city makes 26. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, but there are lots of opportunities for 
travel. They're just like there's travel nurses. Like, so there's a bunch of different job boards and emails lists that I'm on and stuff that I see. And uh, domestically, you can actually make good money if you're a set EMT, like you go to like a, a movie set or a photo set or something like that. Um, those pay really well and you don't usually have to do anything. You can also get paid really well if you're an EMS provider for like a Tough Mudder or Spartan Race. But like there are legitimate opportunities where you could go to Nicaragua for a month and get paid 20 grand, you know, for that, which is really good, obviously, for like EMS. And it's not like a war zone or anything. It's just they're in need of that stuff. So if, uh, uh, yeah, I, I have a couple ideas sort of bouncing around in my head that I just don't need to start right now, but I could. So your EMT skills, you're, you're backing into those, those will, I mean, you I, mean I, could, I guess I could build houses for people if I really want to do. What's that? I mean, I, I have a pretty extensive background in construction. So uh, if I couldn't be a, you know, productivity consultant, then those two things I would probably, those would be the things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all right, got, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, you, 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 going, you, you got a bunch of books. How I many was just saying, you, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thanks. All right. How many books have you written? I know there's a bunch, like a half a dozen. I think it's, I think it's a dozen actually now. Dozen. What's, what's your favorite out of all of them? Um, the, the, the two most recent ones. So the last one is called on productivity, which was really meant to be like my last book on productivity. And it's sort of a summation of all the things that I've learned over the last 10 years, 11 years now, coaching and teaching and consulting. Uh, and then the replaceable founder, those, those two, but if there's going to be one, I think it's the last one on productivity. And what, what are you reading right now? Uh, I, so I am a really bad reader. Um, I do a lot of podcast listening. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, and that's, I just, I just absorb information better that way. I could sit and well, read a book and it would take me five times longer than it would should. Than well, they got audible. They got audible for books now. Have you heard of this? Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, I like, well, and the thing is also most business books are just full of shit anyway. So, uh, those, those don't really, that's not really helpful. The, I think the average, they said that the average, there's some really funny stat. The average business book has, uh, roughly 12 pages of actual content. Uh, and the rest is like all fluff. So, um, most of the podcasts I listen to are about EMS and, um, and news and stuff. So, uh, so no business podcasts or anything. Uh, there, there have been some that come and go, but I, none that have kept my attention. To be perfectly honest, it's a lot of the same stuff over and over. Really, yeah. like same, same thing with podcasts. Like this, I think you guys have some really good questions. This, this to me was a really good conversation, but I get so tired of like just saying the same things over and over because you know people don't want to have actual interesting thoughts about it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I've read, I've read a, a ton of books um, and I agree, you know, but I read the books and I'm thinking, all right, I, I'm just looking to get one new thing right out of a book, which is really what I'm reading them for because I've read hundreds now. And that's really like, all right, I got see if I can grab one thing or one vitamin or one theory or one, one item. Um yeah, but then but, then just have the uh, the author on your podcast and say like, what's the one thing that, that, you want to stay away from it? Well, that, I don't know if there's enough time because I have so many questions, right? It's like, but um, and I still have to read the rest of the books. <laughs> I've only read two of them, but 
But um, yeah. So uh, what do you do for fun? I, you know, you do you do you do wood woodcraft. You do sports at all? Your kids are at PDS, so uh, he they, works at a wood shop. Andrew, were you I, not listening? You? No he workshops. No sports. He does EMT. He told. Me. I'm listening, dude. No, no, like, look, he's he yelled so bad he broke his mic. The computer picked him up. Okay, calm down. Did you take your uh, your Zoloft today, uh, or your uh, ashwagandha? So, do you, you into sports or recreation, like fishing or what? It's just, it, it's it's nothing, nothing like that, Ari. Um, I mean, the woodworking right now is a hobby. I mean, I, I, that's, I love that so much. And the EMS, as uh, Joshua so eloquently put into doubt. Um, but um, my, so my, my kids are really top performers in Taekwondo right now. Uh, and so okay. that's, and I have a background in boxing and, and martial arts also. So like, that's, that's something for sure that is, uh, is really fun. Um, and uh I also, when it's warmer out, I also do, I play soccer with my brother-in-law and some other guys. And so like, I'm, I'm kind of like up for anything generally. The art of learning by Josh Waitskin. There you go. Um, that was a good book. Emergency by Neil Strauss. That was a game changing book for me. I have not read that one. I thought I read them all. I'll have to So you recommend that one. That's my my favorite book of all time. It changed my life. Is he the one? Is that Neil Strauss, the guy who wrote the game? Yeah, same one. <laughs> Amazing. So, that's a, a method writer. Is, is he? So yeah, I started I had, the I, game. I had him on my podcast once, and I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, Josh, is there anything else you want to you want to? Cover. No, man. I just want to say thank you for taking the time because you take time seriously. So for you to come on here for about an hour and spend it with us. My pleasure. It's a a, a big honor. And um, I'm glad that we asked you some questions that are a little bit unconventional. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Ari. Um, You're an interesting, cool dude. And uh, you you give a different perspective on things, and uh, and and uh, you're very you're very mellow and, and and you slow down. And I like I like people like that because I'm like I want to live in that flow state. I want, dude, let's throw this microphone against the wall and see what happens. You know, I'm like I want to be crazy. So when I run into people like calm down and slow, I'm like, why am I not like? Why am I not more like that? Why am I not calmer? <laughs> <laughs> but uh because my brain wants me to just do crazy shit all the time maybe it's just not an animal but um i gotta buy a coaching <laughs> so uh yeah thanks ari anything else you want to put out there for uh for for our listeners um i really do invite people they can go to vox with ari.com and they're welcome to get in touch if they have questions or, or anything about that um so that's it. And uh, then go to lessdoing.com too to see the other stuff. Not doing less. Lessdoing.com. Less doing. So have other, you know, yeah, let, have other people. I always think like, I, I, I get that. I'm like, have the girl do my homework. You know what I mean? It's like, like, <laughs> like, 
Like, <laughs> it's a less sophisticated perspective on it, but you know, <laughs> but it makes sense. I get it. I get it. So, um, all right, shoot. Thanks a lot, Ari. And we're going to uh, put this out there and uh, we'll catch you later. Okay. Have a good day. All right.